Many people are using the FaithFi app to help provide the wisdom, community, and money management to stay on track, financially speaking. To date, over 37,000 members are using its digital envelope system, participating in our community forums, and engaging in virtual workshops. And one of the most convenient features is the ability to keep all your accounts in one place for an easy at-a-glance view. You can choose from one of three options depending on your management style, and it's available on desktop or mobile. Go to faithfy.com and click App to get started. April is just 72 hours away, and it's one of my favorite months of the year. That's because April is Financial Literacy Month. Hi, I'm Rob West. This event began some two decades ago to raise awareness about the critical need for financial literacy. It's just as important as learning to read and write. I'll talk about it first today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, I know it's not quite April yet, but we want to give you a head start on gaining financial literacy. It's important because if you don't know how to set up a budget, handle credit cards responsibly, or figure out how much car or house you can afford, well, you'll run into all sorts of trouble. And guess what? Financial literacy is just another way of knowing and following God's financial principles for earning and saving money. Now, a recent article in the Wall Street Journal laid out six practical things you need to know to be financially literate. So why don't we go over each of them one by one? The first is knowing the power of compound interest and how it works and that it can work for you or against you. When you save, your interest is compounded. That means at some point it's added to your principal, making it larger. Then you're paid more interest on your larger balance and so on. The earlier you start saving, the more time your balance has to grow at an ever-accelerating rate. Here's an example. Let's say you're 20 and you invest $5,000 a year for 10 years and then stop. Over the next 30 years, at an annual return of 7%, your balance will be $600,000. But if you wait until age 30 to start and invest the same $5,000 a year for the next 30 years, do you think you'll have more? Nope. Your balance will only be $540,000. So the earlier you start, clearly the better off you'll be. Uh, By the way, I said compound interest can work against you too. If you use a credit card and don't pay it off each month, the interest is added to your balance, meaning you'll owe even more. That leads us to the next lesson for financial literacy, so-called good debt. This is debt you take on with a reasonable expectation that the return you'll get will be more than what you have to pay in principal and interest. Some examples would be borrowing to start a business if you expect that your revenues for the business will be enough to cover the loan and give you enough to live on. Buying a house would fall into the category of good debt because in most years, homes appreciate in value. A student loan also because if you finish with a degree that gives you marketable skills, you can reasonably expect to earn more than the loan will cost you, but be careful to borrow as little as possible for education. Far better to save for it ahead of time, again, using compound interest in your favor like with a 529 education savings plan. 
On the outside edge of good debt could be a car loan if you need it for transportation to get a job, but make as big a down payment as possible and continue to save when the loan is paid off so you can eventually buy a car with all cash. Okay, our next financial literacy lesson is about your credit utilization rate. That's how much credit you have versus what you owe, as spelled out in your credit report, which affects your credit score. You should never owe more than 30% of your available credit because it will lower your score, resulting in having to pay a higher interest rate if you need another loan. The next lesson is called pay yourself first. This simply means that you should put something into savings each pay period before you spend any money. Set up an automatic transfer from your checking account into savings and let the bank do the work for you. The next is diversification, another of God's financial principles. Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. It simply means to divide your investments among different stocks, mutual funds, bonds, and other securities. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You can also diversify your assets for tax purposes. For example, contribute to your employer's 401k or 403b with pre-tax money, but also open a Roth IRA and invest after-tax money in it. It's great to have something in each bucket if you can do it. Okay, our last financial literacy lesson is something called liquidity. And all that means is that you can get to your money when you need it. If that sounds like an emergency fund, you're exactly right. Your retirement accounts and even CDs and money markets are not the place to keep funds that you may need at a moment's notice. Keep three to six months living expenses and a savings account at an online bank to get the best interest rate possible. So those are your six lessons. We hope you'll use April, Financial Literacy Month, to start putting them into practice. I'm Rob West, and your calls are next, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Are you searching for a way to become a better, faithful steward of the resources that God has given you? Well, download the FaithFi app and join the 37,000 others who are already using our app. The FaithFi app will provide you with wisdom, community, and simply help you stay on track with your finances. We have three money management options to choose from, so find an option that fits your unique needs. It's available on desktop or mobile. Simply go to faithfi.com and click app to get started. Are you looking for a financial professional who aligns with your biblical values? Certified Kingdom Advisors are trusted financial, legal, or accounting professionals who have completed a rigorous certification program to ensure they provide biblically wise financial advice as part of their practice. You can find a local CKA professional in your area by going to faithfi.com and clicking Find a CKA. You're listening to Faith and Finance, where we talk about how we handle God's resources. How are you using God's resources? We're talking about it, and the lines are open to take your calls and questions. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Let's head to Indiana. Hey, Elsie, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hey, I was talking about accelerated banking um, as a way to pay off a mortgage quicker. Like I have a 15-year mortgage. They take a pay it off in three and a half years or less than that. But I have to give them a lump sum. And then I want to compare it to a reverse mortgage. And uh, do you 
recommend either one? That's my question. Yeah, a lot of folks mean different things when they say accelerated mortgage. Uh, are you talking about this strategy? We haven't heard a lot about it lately, and there's a good reason for that. I'll tell you in a second. But it involves taking out a home equity line of credit and using that to float your monthly bills and trying to apply more, your income to your uh, mortgage and, and kind of going back and forth between the two. Is is that the strategy that you're describing? That's that's exactly what he was talking about. Exactly. Yeah. To a T. Yeah, I'd, I'd stay away from that, Elsie. Uh, it's complicated. Uh, you know, it involves a lot of moving back and forth, often involving computer software to kind of help you calculate everything. Usually there's, in some cases, thousands of dollars in upfront fees. Um, it's going to use a home equity line of credit, which is going to have a variable interest rate, which is not a good idea right now with interest rates as high as they are right now. It requires a lot of cash flow in order to make the strategy work. Uh, so usually folks have higher incomes that are doing this. And it takes a lot of discipline as well, just because, uh, you know, of the, uh, the risk that you run by taking out this additional debt and trying to jump back and forth between the two. And so, uh, you know, this is uh, something that I would stay far away from. You know, they're going to pass it off as a way to pay off your mortgage faster, but, um, you know, it's going to end up potentially being a real problem area for you. And, um, you know, it's it's going to cost you a lot in the way of upfront fees, which means that perhaps the only one that wins is the one who's selling you the software and the quote unquote, you know, program. So I wouldn't touch that. Um, a reverse mortgage is the opposite. If you're trying to get out of debt, a reverse mortgage is going to tap into your equity to create an income stream. And I'm not a big fan of those because they're complicated and expensive. And there's an, you know, an interest rate inside that reverse mortgage. Mortgage that's probably not the most attractive either. Uh, the only case that it makes some sense would be as if you know you've got somebody who's has depleted most of their assets. They're sitting on a large asset uh, with the family home. Uh, you know maybe there's a gap in their what they need between the income they have and the expenses they have. They don't want to move. They're over the age of sixty five, and you know they would like to just systematically pull the equity out of the house. Um, you know, and use that to cover the gap in their expenses to fund their lifestyle. But just keep in mind, if you wanted to pass the house off as an inheritance, you know, they're going to have to satisfy that debt if they want to keep it. You got to still pay the mortgage and the taxes. Uh, you know, if you need to go into long-term care, you're going to have to sell it and satisfy the loan. So, you know, that's not my favorite approach either, except in a, in a few limited circumstances. So what would I do? Well, I'd, I'd keep it really simple. Uh, Take the mortgage you got, which is probably a pretty attractive interest rate. I love that you've got a 15-year mortgage and not a 30. And I just try to send an extra payment a year if you can. If you can do more, great. But let's try to get that paid off so that as quickly as possible, you take that largest expense in your financial life off the table, which makes it easier to cover your obligations every month. And um, you know, once you're debt-free, now you've got complete flexibility and peace of mind. You're no longer in a position of being slave to the lender, and um, you can enjoy whatever God has for you next. That's my approach. It's not fancy, doesn't involve slick calculations and a lot of software, but I think it's the biblical model in my view. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I appreciate okay. that. All right, Elsie. God bless you. 
Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling today. 800-525-7000. Looks like all of our lines are full. Let's uh, continue to move through these questions as quickly as we can to Chicago. Hi, Finney. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. I have a townhouse who already paid off, and that's our old house, and another oh, another townhouse that's uh, have combined have 500000 in there, and I was thinking to live debt-free. That's only 15 years, and it but uh, we have a handicapped child who needs eight thousand a month to put to be put in the facility in seven years. And some friend advised that we should sell the both townhouse and get a building, a two million dollar building, so that we can generate more rental income. So that way we can make uh, the payment for pay for his, his facility. Mm, yeah. Um, well, I, I realize that the challenge here that the, um, I guess the only concern is that that sounds great and could it work possibly, but there's, it's not without risk. I mean, especially when you're talking about commercial real estate right now, the commercial real estate market is changing quite a bit. Um, and so as we're, you know, looking at the changes post pandemic, you know, a lot more people are working from home. You know, that means a lot of empty office buildings. I mean, there's quite a bit of transition going on. And so for you all, you know, even if you're going into this with 25% of equity, you know, you'd be taking on a massive note to buy a building, hoping that you could keep it occupied and throw off enough income to service the debt and all the expenses. And, you know, this is a completely different situation than being the landlord of a, of a townhouse, a, a multi-tenant, you know, commercial building. Uh, that's a whole different ball game, And it could actually create, you know, a lot of financial risk for you all if for some reason you couldn't keep it rented and, you know, you got behind on these debt payments or something like that. So as much as I love the idea of you all trying to solve for how are we going to cover this $8,000 a month, which I realize is a massive bill and you you want to care for your son and provide everything he needs. I want you to do it in a way where you're not taking unnecessary risk, um, you know, in, in this situation. And I think getting into commercial real estate with all, without a lot of expertise, especially if you're doing this on your own and this is a new venture for you, would be something I'd be very concerned about. Does that make sense? Yes. So I think the question is kind of where is that money going to come from? Uh, how much do you all, you know, how much of that 8000 a month would you be able to cover just based on your current situation uh, with whatever rental income you're collecting from the townhouses plus any discretionary income after your bills are paid? $2,000. So we need $6,000 more. So you need uh-huh. another 6000 Yeah. So obviously that's going to be challenging. And so let's just, you know, make this a matter of prayer, look at other options out there, um, you know, that where you could perhaps care for him, you know, and I don't know anything about, you know, what his medical condition is, what his needs are. So I wouldn't even begin to venture to try to uh, help you explore what options you have. I'm sure you've done a lot of research and a lot of studying. I think the thing that I want you to do is, number one, we want to trust the Lord. He knows this situation. So let's make this a matter of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to provide miraculously, but let's also not take unnecessary risk. Let's not kind of jump to something that is potentially speculative and, you know, beyond what you have the ability to do financially and based on kind of your own expertise 
to try to solve for this in a way that could create a lot more financial strain and strain on your marriage and your family beyond the strain that's already there as you're caring for this uh, child of yours. So let's pray about this. I would seek out a certified kingdom advisor as well in your area at faithfi.com. Just click find a CK and see if you can get some wise counsel from an advisor who can help you navigate this because there's a lot of moving parts there. Again, faithfi.com. Click find a CKA. Benny, God bless you. We'll be right back. As a faithful listener of this program, you know that there's life-changing financial wisdom in God's Word. And FaithFi is here to help you and millions of others learn to be good and faithful stewards. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on help from monthly FaithFi patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Has God provided financial answers for you through this ministry? If so, consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give. We're grateful for support from Guidestone, whose diversified suite of investment solutions align with Christian values to create positive change in the world. More information is available at GuidestoneFunds.com. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of Guidestone Funds before investing. They're distributed by Foresight Funds Distributors, LLC, which is not an advisory affiliate, a registered investment advisor, nor do they provide investment advice. Welcome back. This is Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls today, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. By the way, you don't have to call. Just send an email, askrob at faithfi.com. That's askrob at faith, the letters F-I dot com. All right, back to the phones we go. The Cleveland area, WCRF. Hi, Kathy. I understand you have a testimony. I do. I am uh, just testifying to the faithfulness of God, mm-hmm. how little money I have made all my life, mm-hmm. and He has always been faithful. I give generously to charity. I give mm-hmm. without thinking, usually. If I hear of a need, I give what I can at that moment. Not a percentage. Um, I'm sure I give more than 10% of my income. And I make a moderate income, but God is so faithful. I needed a car. He provided the money. I live debt-free, and I have been taught that way from a little, little girl. My mother barely had two nickels to rub together, but she always paid her bills, and she lived debt-free, and I do too. And I just wanted people to know how faithful God is to provide what you need when you need it, because he always has for me. And truly, I make very little money. I'm single, I'm all alone, and I really have no family. Mm. Well, I appreciate that testimony. It sounds like there's really been two keys. Number one, you recognized your role as a steward, that God owned it all. You were generous throughout the entire process of managing God's money, even though, as you said, you didn't have a whole lot, and you lived frugally. I mean, would those have been some of the keys, do you think, Kathy? Always, always. I've always just worked. I've always worked. He's provided me jobs with moderate income, and I've always given. I, I, uh, I just always have. I've never counted, really, what I give. I always just give. I've always belonged to a church. 
and I give to other ministries as I hear of them. If I hear of a need, I say, well, I should give to this. But the one thing I always do, I heard it said once, lots of people give to lots of charities, but only Christians give to Christian charities. So that mm. are, those are the only charities that I give to. Uh, that's well said, and a great reminder for all of us today. Kathy, thank you for calling and sharing your story today. We appreciate that. May God bless you. 800-525-7000 is the number to call with your questions or perhaps another testimony to Ohio. Hi, Marcia. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hey, Rob. Um, I had a question on uh, stepping out of uh, my job here. I'm a 61-year-old widow who collects my husband's Social Security, and I always will because his will always be larger. Okay. However, I'm a school bus driver, and I put in to step away from my job at the end of this month okay. with the thought pattern of I would be falling under uh, GPO if I were to collect my pension at 62, and therefore it's my understanding two-thirds of what I'd be collecting would be dropping or coming out of my Social Security anyhow. Yes. My thought here is, and I don't know if it's, if it's the right one, but my thought is to step out at the end of this month. I've already given them the word and do a cash out. Would there be a big issue with that? Does that sound like something that's going to bite me in the butt down the road or uh, well, yeah, not necessarily. So, you know, if you, as you know, if you receive a pension from a job where there, you didn't pay social security taxes, then they reduce your uh, benefit. Is, is that what's going on here in, in your situation? Did you pay social security taxes? I, I didn't do that yet. I'm in the process of stepping away from the job before I turned 62, because in order to be eligible for the pension, I would have to be 62 with 10 years on the job. Is that, is that, yeah. And what would they, what would they give you for the lump sum? I can't tell you the exact amount, but when I figured it out, it, I would be 78 before I just, I would have uh, spent, spent it. So. Okay, and, and what is the alternative as it's been laid out to you? It hasn't all been laid out to me. I've been investigating and looking into things, and with comparing the lump sum to, to I guess, let's say I'm eligible for 300 a month pension if I continue on. Yeah. Two-thirds of that, technically, two-thirds of that is going to go away because it's going to drop out of my Social Security. Am I understanding that right? That's right. Yeah, through the government pension offset. That's right. So uh, it can reduce it by up to two-thirds uh, of your uh, your pension. Okay, so then I'm the understanding that out of that 300, I'd technically only be gaining 100, and the, of course that's before taxes. That's so my thought pattern was if I got out before I was eligible for the pension and took a cash, the lump cash. Yeah. And just call it cash out. Sure. Yeah. And then you'd still be able to collect the full social security benefit. Is, is that what you're thinking? Yes, that, that, yeah. that is my thought pattern. Am I yeah. doing this all right? Yeah, because no, I'm, you could be. Absolutely. I think the next step is for you to sit with the Social Security Administration and just kind of work, look at your own work record and look at what your options are. Because the last thing you'd want to do is, is to make an election here without understanding the full implications. And it's not always 
cut and dry, especially when we get into these GPOs, the government pension offset and the, you know, windfall elimination provision. These are ways where your Social Security is reduced as a result of you participating in a pension plan where Social Security taxes were not collected. The question would be, is the lump sum payout kind of an an end around on this where you can essentially get the the benefit of the, the cash out and still collect the Social Security? You would, I would hate to weigh in on that. I, I don't know enough about the details of what you have here to be able to say one way or the other. So if it were me, I'd probably, you know, get with the Social Security Administration, show them what you have, and then let them tell you whether or not you could accomplish what you're you're trying to accomplish here through this this approach. It sounds good to me at face value. I just want to make sure we're not missing anything. Okay, I appreciate that. All right. What are you uh, What are you most looking forward to, Marcia, in this next season once you're retired? Um, spending time with my parents because it's, I'm at a yeah. time in life where I just feel like I'm not. I don't want to look back and say I, I could have and I should have. Yeah. It's yeah. a hard thing to walk away from children with school bus driving, but I'm, I'm ready for more time with my parents. Yeah, I can imagine you are. So, well, that's exciting. Here's what I want you want you to check. We're going back to the question for a second. Uh, you know, many times when the pension is paid in a lump sum, the reduction is calculated as if it's paid monthly. And so uh, my concern would be that this may not work the way you're intending and you could have the same impact. Um, you know, if as if you uh, you had got the, the pension the way it's normally paid out. So I, I just want you to investigate this a little bit further before you, you make that final determination. But listen, all the best to you, Marcia, in this next season of life. And thanks for calling in today. God bless you. That does it for us today. I'm Rob West. Thanks to our amazing production team and to you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time right here on Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.